You know, if we turned on the news uh, today, or probably any day for the past years, we would probably read the headlines or hear them or watch them, whatever it may be, and realize that much of the headlines that we see is dominated by sin and sorrow. Even when you watch sports and try and get away, possibly, from all the chaos, uh, you hear, possibly, like you watched the NFL this year, you constantly heard the biggest story in the NFL is Tom Brady is getting a divorce. And it's one of the biggest stories in the whole football season. And constantly, you hear this over and over again of, of these different marriages being broken. You read the news or you watch it and you hear companies of all the corruption that's been taking, uh, taking over. You hear of employees that are getting mistreated or even doing terrible things or even you hear of bosses or management getting paid so much and treating people very terribly. You know, we hear this constantly in our news cycle. We hear it and actually if you read these verses, you would think, man, these verses tell us uh, how you should live, but nobody's doing this. Nobody's living this way. Marriages are not working this way. Jobs are not working this way. This world is in chaos. It's out of control. We would probably all agree to that. And I would say the reason isn't simply because somebody votes a certain way, they're of some political party, or certain things like that. That's not why we have chaos. The reason is because of sin. The reason, as we'll see in this passage, is because people are not submitted to the Lord. Paul puts an emphasis here first on the home. And in verse 3.18, he'll talk about wives and then husbands and then children, and he'll talk about those things. And, and I would encourage you, parents and families, uh, your greatest ministry now, if your kids are in the home, is with your family. That's the greatest area of ministry that you have. And I'll admit, as I start preaching and as I, as I see this, I am not the perfect boss, the perfect employee, the perfect husband, uh, the perfect child, and I'm not a wife, so I don't know anything about that as well. And so I'll just tell you right away, I don't have, you shouldn't be looking at Tad's wisdom. You shouldn't look at me and say, man, he's perfect. What we need to look at is Christ. He is perfect. And we want to imitate Christ, and I want to imitate him well. But I know, even as I go through this passage and have studied it, I struggle with many of these things. And my kids may say a hearty amen if they're willing to speak up. But we'll go through this and look through uh, this passage. First, we look at, in the first uh, passage, we're just going to lay this out, and the way this is structured is, is Paul just directly addresses different, different groups. And I'm just going to go through, basically, with his structure and his outline. He starts off saying, wives, uh, this is the conduct of wives. We'll start there, with the conduct of wives. And so he says, uh, wives, be submissive to your husband. And this is an interesting word. The word here used is, is the idea of coming under rank. And so that should tell us something. Uh, the wife is submitting under rank to the husband. And it's not saying that the wife is uh, not able or capable or is uh, trying to say something derogatory. They're not saying anything about women being less qualified or intelligent or important. What's being said here is there's a hierarchy in the family. The, there's God, the husband, the wife, and the children. And the man is going to be responsible for his home. And the wife should submit to the husband, but it's not a way of slavery or servitude. Uh, 
It's not a way that we, the way that Paul's laying this out is actually a way that we say we're going to submit to him so he's able to make the decisions to follow the Lord. Paul didn't say this to try and put down women. Actually, the things that he says about a husband loving a wife, and even in Ephesians and other things, are actually kind of countercultural to his day. Sometimes people were treated as property, and even we'll see that because of slavery in that time. And sometimes this idea of a wife submitting, they may have been disappointed that the, that the language wasn't more harsh. Maybe they, men in that society may have thought the wife should actually do more to serve and actually to be a slave to the husband. And actually, Paul makes it very clear that there's actually a relationship here that should be a picture, uh, or is a, a, it's a picture of Christ and the church. And there's going to be mutual benefit. There's going to be mutual servitude. But there is a hierarchy here. The wife should submit to the husband because they have a, uh, the men have a God-given leadership role in the family. And 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. It tells us about this. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And so the man there is submitted under Christ as head. The head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And we see that this submission idea is to Christ, but we see the reason for this. In the end of this verse, in chapter 3.18, it says, As is fitting to the Lord. This is all, we're going to see this numerous times throughout this passage that all of this is surrendered to the Lord. We submit to the Lord because He is our Master, He is our King. And ladies, some of you may be in here and you may have a spouse that is not a believer. And 1 Peter tells us about that. A spouse that's not a believer is something that is very difficult in a relationship. If you have a husband that doesn't follow Christ, it's something that is difficult, but Peter tells us how to act in that way. He says, 1 Peter 3.1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even in some, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Ladies, the way you conduct yourself in your family and in your household shows a lot of your, and it actually is an example of submitting to the Lord. And I encourage you to do that, not because your husband is the trophy husband. Probably a few days after you got married, you realized he wasn't quite the trophy husband you thought he was. And then a few years later, that was even confirmed even more. And maybe you have a trophy husband, the most wonderful man ever. You are not submitting to him based on his character and uh, the fact that he is this incredible person. You're submitting to him because that's what God has said to. But it shouldn't be something that men actually take advantage of and abuse or misuse. And so ladies, if you have an unsaved husband, your conduct may be the way that your husband, your spouse, comes to Christ. The Apostle Peter tells us that. And we see that our conduct, the way that we live, our actions matter. Because if we look at this book, we've said we believe Christ. He's supreme over everything. We should follow him. He is first place. And then we get to our conduct, and we say, well, we don't want to actually have him first place in our marriage, in our relationships, in those things. And there's a lot of things that Paul's saying, look, all this should be submitted to Christ. 
And if you have an unsaved husband and he sees you nagging, yelling, not submitting, being unloving, hating, or even if you have a Christian husband and they see that, it's not an example of Christ. It's not an example of following Christ. There's probably a common saying that you've heard. And you may have heard this, and, and if, if you've heard it, you shouldn't laugh because it could be, you may have said it yourself. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Okay, you can laugh because you've probably said that, right? And that sometimes just rings true. And you know why that's tr- sometimes true in society? Because people will see this lady goes crazy, out of control, and you realize life is bad for everybody. And you know, sometimes we hear that and we think, yeah, if she just yells and gets her way, everybody is going to get into line. You know, ladies and men, our lives should be controlled by Christ in public and in private, even when nobody else is around, and even when we're not getting our way because our kids aren't listening or our spouse isn't doing the things that we think. Submitting to a husband sometimes means allowing him to make mistakes. You may say a hearty amen because he makes a lot of them. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to him and say, you know, I think this would be a better idea. This may be a better way to go. In fact, some of the best advice that I get is from my wife. Hannah gives me excellent advice. Oftentimes, I don't ask for it. But the realization is, our relationship should be one that we submit to, uh, that she submits to one another, but I also love her in a way that we actually submit to one another, and we work through things. And in the end, we make a decision to follow Christ. And when we're both, or one of us, is not following Christ, it becomes a problem. The authority of our family should be in this order, husband, wife, then children. Submitting to your husband will show your willingness to submit to God. I'd encourage you ladies, think through that and even wonder, how, how are you doing with that and showing that example to your kids? You may be here and you may not be married. You may not have a spouse or your spouse has passed on. And I'd encourage you, as I, as I preach through this, don't just ignore this. But this application uh, is very specific as Paul is uh, Paul's giving very specific application. And so I want to encourage you, uh, as we go through specific application, to make those specific applications to yourself. It's easy to think of other people when we go through a message like this and say, I hope they got a lot out of this. But let this message come and hit where it should in our own hearts. And so he goes on. Paul talks not just to wives, but he says to husbands in verse 19. Husbands... Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The positive that he says is to love their wife. The wife may be thinking, man, he gets the easy part. He gets to love me. But this isn't so easy. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, it may not just, it's not just easy because a lot of times we're all unlovable people. It's actually because the way that Christ says to lo- or Paul says to love this is the way that Christ said to love his church. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Men love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And that's incredible because Christ gave his life up for the church. And men, our responsibility to love our wife 
is to be self-sacrificial. It's to be serving. It's different than carnal, fleshly love, getting what we want. A husband is to love his wife continually, no matter what circumstance, what situation. Paul says to love your wife as your own body. I know a lot of men are very selfish. In fact, we usually take care of ourselves a lot of times before other people. But you may not be that way. You may be the most humble person you've ever met. You may be even the most humble person that anybody else has ever met that you think. Your standard is not just loving others and loving Christ how you love yourself, but it's actually how Christ loved you. And if you remember, Christ loved us when we were unworthy, unrighteous sinners before him. And he loved us even through our mistakes. Love your wife as much as Christ loved the church. A young man once went to a doctor, Dr. Harry Ironside, which was a famous Bible teacher. And Dr. Ironside uh, heard this young man, and he said, uh, this young man said to Dr. Ironside, he said, I love my wife too much. And Dr. Ironside uh, listened to this, and, and the young man said, in fact, I have put her on such a high plane, I fear it's sinful. And uh, Dr. Ironside responded, he said, do you love your wife more than Christ loved the church? And the husband didn't say he did. And he said, that's the limit to what we must go. You don't make your wife or your spouse an idol, but you sacrifice and you love them like Christ loved. And you may say, well, I bought roses or I said, I love you. And you may say, I say I love you enough. But the question is, do you show it? Do you actually lead her spiritually in a way that leads her closer to Christ or more towards a way of bitterness and frustration because you're not going to follow Christ? Men, lead your wife spiritually. You don't force them to submit, but you lovingly lead them in a way that helps them follow Christ. I would just say this, men, wives will more readily submit and readily follow a godly man that knows he's a sinner and a hypocrite, instead of a sinner that thinks he's godly. Men, if you walk around and think that you're the most godly thing ever and everybody should listen to you, you're going to be probably hard to follow. But when you have a humility about you and you live and realize that you're a sinner that needs a Savior, you're probably going to be easier to follow. Here's some encouragement, men. On how you can love your wife. Don't disparage her. Don't put her down in front of others. Don't yell at her. Don't falsely accuse her. Don't use her for just what she can give to you or what she can do. I don't see any of those things in scripture from the way Christ loved his church. He didn't do those things and we shouldn't either. Instead, as Christ did, we should protect her reputation Build her up with encouraging words. Compliment her spiritually and physically. Protect her. Pray with her. Pray for her. Give her your heart, not just your money. Sometimes a person can be paid off just to follow or say, hey, do great. I would say if when we give our heart, we're giving more. But Paul goes on, and he doesn't just say in verse 18, Husbands, love your wives. 
By the way, the wives there is just the way we use plural in English, okay? So you're not looking for a second wife today, okay? So this is just loves your wives because he's talking to different people. Just so you understand, all right? <laughs> Ladies, I want to say that just so they're not out, you know. But he goes on and he says in the end of verse 18, And do not be harsh with them. Or it has been translated in other versions, bitter. Husbands, we're not to be harsh with our wives. We, shouldn't be, we should be very careful to not criticize them over what they've done. Don't put them down. Don't cut them down. Don't hurt them. Lift them up. Men, I know probably if you're like me and if you're like every human... And women, actually, ladies, you're probably the very same. You came into marriage with certain expectations. And I said earlier, very quickly, we realize those expectations are sometimes not fulfilled. We thought that this is how it was going to be. And it wasn't perfect. And there's a tendency, men, to get harsh, to get bitter. To get selfish and frustrated. And Paul says, don't do that. Love your, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Be forgiving. Be sacrificial. And if you say, well, it doesn't tell me here to be forgiving. Well, if you look up in verse 13, it tells us bearing with another, one another, forgiving each other, which also includes your spouse, as Christ forgave us. Our job is to love. Love also means time. Love means that we're going to forgive. It means that we're going to care. Christ was the ultimate husband and spouse to his church. And so for the church, the church is the bride of Christ. And so we look to that example. So husbands and wives, let Christ control your marriage. And we'll move on to the next verse. And parents, you may be so excited because we're done with speaking about the husband and wife relationship. And we move on to the conduct of children. It says in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And the word everything there's, there is scary, because that sounds like a lot of things. And kids oftentimes don't like to obey in everything, only in certain things. And so Paul, moving from the most intimate relationship of the husband and wife, also moves to the, maybe the most ignored relationship of the parent and children. Oftentimes, we think as parents, we have children and they should just simply obey every instruction. And there is a harder word here. Instead of the word used earlier to wives saying submit, where there's just a hierarchy there, there's actually the word here, obey. And even in Ephesians, children are told to honor their parents because it pleases the Lord. Disobedience brings great hurt. It brings great harm to the child and to the parent. Kids, teens, young people, if you're in your parents' home, you may wonder, what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? Let me tell you what God wants you to do. Obey your parents. It's what he wants you to do. You may be thinking, what's God's will for my life? What am I going to do years from now? Maybe I'm going to do great things for God. You know the greatest thing you can do for God today? Obey mom and dad. That's what God has told you to do. That's what God's will is for your life. Obedience and honor will bring blessing to you as a child and as an adult. Ephesians 6.2 says, honor and obey your parents. Many times uh, you obey your parents, but you don't honor them. 
Sometimes obedience is simply an outward action. We say, no, we're not going to do this today. We're actually going to stay home. Can you go to your room and clean it up for a second? And the action follows, and it's like they're walking the right way, and they're going into the room, and they're going to clean it. And the attitude is awful, right? Children, young people, part of the obedience that we have is also not just obedience and following what has been said, but actually honoring. And adults, sometimes we do this with God. We actually obey God, but we don't honor him. They may wonder where that comes from. Well, it probably has been seen in the parents. But kids, this is to you. Honor your parents. Pastor Harris has said something very good that we've said sometimes to our kids as well. You obey uh, quickly, sweetly, and completely. You do it right away when told. You do it with the right attitude. And you do that lovingly. You do that, parents, you help them do that. Some of the ways that we hurt our children and, and harm them is, is by not actually giving them clear things to follow. Sometimes we just expect them obey, uh, to obey or do something, but we haven't actually told them. And we just hope for the best. Young people, obey your parents. The older I get and the more I look back, I wish I would have obeyed my parents more. I wish I would have listened to them because you know what? They actually did have a lot of wisdom. I was 13 once and I did know everything at that point, but they knew more. Incredibly, your parents, even though you may know everything, they know more than you. Obey them. Christ actually Christ actually was a great example of obedience to his father, wasn't he? Young people, don't do it just because I'm saying it or because even it's in the word of God, so you should do it. But you should do it also because Christ clearly obeyed his father. Goes on to to fathers, the conduct of fathers in 321. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Some have translated this as parents, but it's directly specifically to dads. But parents, I'd encourage you all to listen, but fathers are told, don't exasperate, don't irritate, don't provoke your children to anger so that they become discouraged in obedience. Parents are to encourage your children in the Lord. When you're constantly putting them down and ruining their reputation or hurting them, it's not easy for them to grow in the Lord. Actually, there's a long list I can give you, uh, or I could give you other times if you wanted to look at it, but John MacArthur gave some excellent tips on how not to exasperate your children. He says, don't overprotect them when you never trust your children. Don't show favoritism. Don't depreciate their words with harsh words. Don't set unrealistic goals. Possibly you failed to show affection to them. You don't provide for your needs, or you don't set standards, or maybe you discipline inconsistently. You criticize, or you neglect them, or you excessively discipline them and abuse them. All those ways are ways that a a father can exasperate their children. You know, sometimes dads, our thought is that we just simply come home from work, and mom has basically got the child-rearing duties. Parenting just falls on mom. And maybe you, your kids are out of the house and that's how it was. I'd encourage you to repent of that. 
But I don't also encourage you dads, now if, you're with, if you have kids in the house and you're just like, that's just up to mom, I don't really have to do anything. I would, I would probably check yourself and realize that you have a great responsibility. The word of God here is directed to you, fathers. You know, parents, it irritates the children to hear one thing in the home and see actions there in the home and see a totally different person outside of the house. You know, there's cartoons or there's comics about a person called Two-Face. And sometimes our kids may wonder if Two-Face is actually our parents actually just living in their own house. Because there weren't one person in the house and outside of the house, they're totally different. Love your kids. Care for them. Provide for them. Help them to learn to follow the Lord. Men, you may go to work. Have a good job. People follow you and you say, do this, do that. And when you get home, you're like, I want to be the boss and I want to be cared for. But you know what? You're also a diaper changer. You're also one that cares. You're also setting an example. And parents, realize we're raising our kids. We don't exasperate them. We actually start to trust them over the years. Because, you know, really one of the jobs as parents is to get rid of them. You know, kids are actually supposed to leave their home and go out and marry and go on and produce more children and continue on. That sounds harsh sometimes because in our society we love our children so much sometimes. We exalt them. But our job is to raise kids that are going to go out and glorify God for eternity. Raise them to follow Christ goes on, and we're going to go through the last part of these, uh, the last few verses uh, together. Verse 22 says, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by eye service as men ple- uh, or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. We'll read that last verse in just a moment. Paul talks about the servant's relationship to masters. He's not here, and as he says bond servants, we would understand that word is sometimes translated slave, actually, in other versions. And Paul's not trying to necessarily abolish slavery. But what he's doing, and he's not condoning slavery either, but he's actually saying this is how you respond to those over you. Paul is saying this is part of slavery, what had been going on, but there's also part of, uh, part of society is actually uh, people are going to follow their employers. And he's telling us how to follow those that have rule over us, the employee or employer relationship as it is today. A person that's employed by another or serving another should be rewarded for what they're done, what's done. But they should also obey and serve and work in a way that actually pleases God. We realize every action, as this this says, every action we do should be submitted to the Lord. Everybody that that we come in contact with should realize our relationships are submitted to Christ first and Him alone. You know, God will reward the servant for his work says that in these verses, but we also should be rewarded here on earth. But sometimes our work is mundane. It's frustrating. 
And sometimes you may have done a job that just seemed repetitive and had no good, it almost seemed like there was no end in sight. Our jobs are a way to provide. We follow a way to provide for our families. It's a way for us to actually have great conduct, but it actually is a way for us to show others that we're submitted to them and to the Lord. You know, maybe as this verse says, it says you do this not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Maybe your real problem in your office or your work is that your work is best done when somebody is watching over your shoulder. Or when somebody is seeing you, because you're not very good at working on your own. Partly because you may not realize that your work is for the Lord. And you're so, so you're not diligent. You just say, I, I don't need to do anything, except when the boss is watching. You know, there's March Madness is coming up with a lot of uh, basketball going on, and you can watch a lot of these games online. And one of my favorite things in March Madness is they'll tell you, we have boss mode, which is up in the corner of, of this little video that you're watching. You can click boss mode, and all of a sudden your computer screen looks like an Excel spreadsheet. And it's really good so that when the boss w- walks by, it looks like you're working on Excel spreadsheets, right? And, uh, and so it's wonderful. So then you can, as soon as they leave, you can go back to watching the game. You know, the world understands people-pleasing, and we do too. And we sometimes think that my job is simply to follow people or obey when they're watching. I'm just going to do this job because I'm getting paid, and when they're not watching, I can do whatever I want. I encourage you, whatever your job may be, whether it's a nurse, a secretary, a teacher, doctor, engineer, farmer, accountant, whatever it may be. And even I'd encourage you, if you're retired, that you still use your time for the Lord. Your life is to be spent for God and his glory. Serve the Lord. It says in verse 23, you may say, well, this is just for people. I closed my Bible a while ago because this doesn't apply to me. I'm, not a, I, I, I'm retired. It says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And it really is in the context of that employer relationship or that servant relationship. But I'd encourage you, whatever we do, do for the glory of God. Use your time for God's glory. Use it for other people to see God's glory. I used to work in a factory in Michigan, and it was wonderful. It was was such a great place. You would put a screw in a a center console for a car, move it on, and then get the next one and do that for eight hours. It was really fun. And... uh, (laughs) And, you know, some people didn't like that job, and, and, that, and some people make a great career at it. There were some people that were really good at getting away with doing nothing. In fact, they do, did better than I had ever seen at somebody doing nothing. They went and they clocked in. Ten minutes later, they would walk to the back of the factory, go out the back door, and actually be gone for about seven hours and 45 minutes, come back with about five minutes left, uh, sneak in the back door, and clock back out and get paid for eight hours of nothing. And some of you may be thinking, that sounds like a great day. Um, Let me encourage you. When you see other people slacking off at work, it's frustrating. When you see other people not putting in their hardest, not working, you may be frustrated. You may say, I want to get even with them. I, I sure didn't like that. 
But you know what? When you work heartily to the Lord, you actually are going to set yourself up as someone with a reputation that says, I follow Christ and I work hard for my employer. They called me at that factory Bible Boy. And uh, it was really fun to get called Bible Boy all the time because I knew I was studying for seminary. But you know what? When they had problems, they would often ask me what I thought about this and ask for a ton of advice. I had opportunity to share Christ so many times because they knew a reputation that follows you. And let me encourage you, your reputation is going to precede you wherever it is, in your school, kids, teens, in your work, in your class. Your reputation is going to precede you. People see that. But don't do your work so that you please people. Do it so you please God. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says in verse 24 and 25 there, there will be a reward. And we look forward to that day we stand before Christ. And we're rewarded, not just by a paycheck, but we're rewarded to, for Christ, by Christ for what we've done to serve him. But let me encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ... If he's not your king and you're not serving him, submit today to him. Accept him as your savior. Repent of your sins. Confess him as Lord. Surrender to Christ today. Christ was the ultimate servant. He set the best example. Follow him. The last verse we're going to look at. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Masters or bossers or bosses or employers, do what's fair and do what's just. Treat your employees well. Care for them. They're people made in God's image. They're doing a service for you, for the company, for whatever job or management area. And treat them well. Treat them with respect. Treat them with dignity. Care for them like Christ cared for those. Christ had these 12 apostles that followed him. And they weren't people that he necessarily employed, but they helped him along the way. They were his disciples. They followed him. And there was one of them that the whole time took care of the money. And Christ knew that whole time that Judas would eventually betray him. Yet, we don't have any account of Jesus treating Judas terribly, putting him down, hurting him telling him awful things, he treated him kindly and fair, knowing that one day this man would betray him. You know, the people that sometimes work for us, they should see a Christ-like attitude in the way that we live, in the way that we treat them. You may say, well, I'm not a boss. I I don't own a company. I'm not a manager. Have you ever had somebody work for you at your house? Have you ever had anybody do a job for you? in certain places, the way you treat them shows a lot. Have you ever been to a restaurant and somebody serves you food and you berate them and you tell them off? They're serving you. Treat people like Christ has treated us. Christ is the ultimate leader, the ultimate master. Let him control you. In this passage, it's at least eight times shown that our life should be submitted not just, not just to one another, but also to the Lord especially. And as we read this passage, you may have gotten tons of application for other people. 
Dad, you may have read this, or husband, you may have read this. My wife really needs this. My kids need this. Or wife said, my kids need this, and my husband needed this. Kids, you may think, man, my parents need this. Employees may have thought, my boss is terrible. He needed to hear this. Can I get a copy of this message and give to him? Bosses, you may have thought, man, I wish my employees would have heard this. You know what? I can't control what you do. You can't control what other people do. I can only control my own attitude. I can only control my own actions. Let them be submitted to the Lord. And before you think of everybody else's problem, take the beam out of your own eye before you start to work on that speck in somebody else's. We are submitted to King Jesus. And that's how every relationship should be. We submit to King Jesus And so we serve one another with kindness and love like he did. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a passage like this that just really lays out the structure of the household and a lot of society, Lord, it's it's sometimes very simple, but Lord, it's extremely convicting to me as a dad and a husband and somebody that works even at this church, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would help me to live in these ways the way you've told, told us to. And Lord, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Lord, so many times we look at the word of God and realize the greatest example of what we've seen is Jesus. The greatest example to live, to love, and to care for others is how Jesus lived and loved and cared for others. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that, to live like Christ. That's what this whole book has been about. You've been telling us about Christ being over everything, and so he should rule over our hearts and our lives. Lord, convict us in the areas that we have not submitted to you fully, that we're still trying to rule and run our own life. Lord, for those that are here, Husbands and wives that may uh, husband and wives that may need to have some reconciliation. I pray that you would make that a sweet time. Help them to be able to love one another, to care for one another like you cared for the church. Lord, for parents and children that may need to have some conversations about how they relate to one another, I pray that you would work in those conversations. And I pray, Lord, for even some of those that may have worked and may be realizing that they're not working hard enough or not doing this for your glory, I pray that they would repent and they would look to you as the one that we follow. Lord, help us to love others, to care for one another, to trust you. And Lord, that we would live a life that would be an example so that others would see it and so that we would have opportunities to share with them about our Savior and how good he is to us. We thank you, Lord, for this passage. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. The music team will come and uh, lead us in one last song. If you would, stand, please, and then uh, they'll dismiss you. And if you are wanting to go to the Germany trip or interested, I'd encourage you to go to that. But you are dismissed after they're finished singing. I guess it's just me and thee. (laughs) 